What's going on guys? Welcome to or welcome back to Consuming Crime. It's your host Jules here. Before we get started, I want to go over a couple of things as usual. If you are a continued listener of the podcast and you would like to become a supporter of the podcast, go ahead and go to consumingcrime.com and click on the become a supporter link. To become a supporter basically just means that you make a monthly donation of anywhere from like a dollar to whatever you want and it just helps sustain future episodes. You don't get anything, but... Uh, I will give you a shout out on the next episode recorded after you become a supporter and you will also get a badge on the website when you join. Um, Badges are, again, when you join the website, you automatically get a crime consumer badge and on the site you can get updated on the latest episodes as well as talk to other crime consumers and earn other types of badges like deputy, um, there's like sergeant basically it just depends on how much you interact with others and how consistently you do it yeah it's pretty fun right now there's only a handful of us so i would get in while you know i'm still able to message you guys directly also make sure you give the podcast five stars wherever you're listening and tell your friends about the podcast go ahead and give us a like on facebook we hit 300 going for 400 and thank you so so much for giving the podcast a listen even if this is your first time listening thanks for giving it a chance we are over 1300 unique listeners in the past 30 days across all platforms that's just you know podcast is growing and even just giving it a chance means the absolute world so yeah without further ado let's jump into the episode so today's episode we are continuing to cover american detective featuring joe kenda and i don't recall the name of the episode but i do know it was episode nine and i called it the green monster it is august 27th in 2005 in bell salem pennsylvania i'm sorry if i mispronounced that it is 1 30 in the morning and this is an area 20 miles north of philadelphia Joseph Lear is at a bus stop waiting for his friend, Christian. Christian's on his way to pick him up from a ride, but Christian does not show up. This is not like him. He's normally a very reliable person. So obviously pissed off, Joseph gets a taxi to Christian's house to tell him off. Like, dude, what the hell? You left me by myself at one in the morning. And so he gets there and the lights are off and no one's home, question mark? So... He takes it upon himself to go into the home, which is good because he's a concerned friend, but also I wonder if they're close enough for him to just walk into his house. (laughs) The first thing he notices is he steps in glass, so this obviously worries him. He turns on a light and he sees a huge mess, and not like a normal person like hasn't cleaned up in a while, couple of weeks mess. He's talking, it looks like somebody fought and had like a scuffle, I guess you can call it, in the living room area. He looks around, he starts checking out the apartment or the house, and he walks into the bathroom, and this is where he unfortunately finds his friend Christian in the bathtub, deceased. And now we are interviewing Chris McMullen in the documentary interview, not like a police interrogation. McMullen was a detective in 2005 in the Criminal Investigation Division. He's at the crime scene and he is told about a 27-year-old found dead, Christian Rojas. Christian was from Costa Rica. He grew up in that area. He was at a gifted school. He was a computer expert and in the U.S. to work at a computer firm. He had a really good job. A lot of stuff going on for him. The officer makes a note before going into the crime scene to put his hands in his pockets. This is actually a really good idea so you don't touch things. You would think you would know better, but you know, sometimes you might poke something. 
Immediately, he says, okay, there was definitely a ransacking here. He sees that cushions were ripped open, furniture was out of place, and now he's thinking, what would they want to steal? He doesn't notice anything visibly stolen, and he sees a photo on the floor. It was broken, and he kind of suggests that in the photo, there was three people, two men and a woman. One of them, I believe, was Christian. The officer kind of suggests that whoever did it broke the photo on purpose. I have to disagree. I mean, I think that's kind of a leap to see a picture and assume that somebody did it out of, like, jealous rage, but that's just something that officers took a note of. There was blood on the walls, on the carpet, and on the way to the bathroom. This victim was clearly retreating and ran into the bathroom to run away. Immediately, the officers are hit with the smell. They see the victim, and this was an awful, terrible scene. The tub was filled with black water. There was so much blood. There was also a pillow over his face, a sock in his mouth, socks around his neck, and electrical cords to tie him up. It's just really brutal. They see a human imprint on the wall. So, I had forgotten what I meant by that, but basically, like, whoever hit him or was torturing him, whatever they were doing, definitely pushed either their own body or I think it was his body up against the wall so you can see that he was hit there. They can tell immediately that Christian definitely suffered from his death. The attacker has to know him. There was so much anger and definitely an emotional motive. I need to stop saying definitely. I keep saying that. There was also condoms floating. I have to clarify it. The condoms were packaged and they were just kind of like tossed in the water. And now officers and myself were thinking, this does have something to do with jealousy. Like I, in my head, I was thinking, was this dude sleeping with somebody's girlfriend or boyfriend and they found out and this is how this happened? This is the conclusion that I jumped to because why are there condoms in there besides like a F you for doing something with your penis? Does that make sense? Let me know what you guys think right now before you go and continue. What do you think? <laughs> Agree or disagree? So now they're back at the photo. They're thinking that photo might connect the two men in love with the same woman. I, I still don't think the picture has anything to do with it, but this is emotional. This is passion. They go to interview Joseph Leary, the friend that found the body. He was nervous. He had a lot of adrenaline and he was terrified. Naturally, he just found his friend like all bloody in the bathtub. Makes sense. He said Christian was his best friend. They met in Costa Rica and he was the one that told Christian that he should relocate to the U.S. He was a likable guy and very in touch with his family. His mothers and sisters lived in Costa Rica and would live modestly. Oh, I'm sorry. And Christian would live modestly so that he could send them money. He really couldn't imagine Christian having an enemy or he couldn't think of anybody that could do this to him. He had no criminal background, no drug use. He was an everyday innocent person. So the officers ask about the photo. Joseph tells them, oh, that's Mark Russo and his wife, Sarah. They used to be his roommates, but Christian moved out. Now officers are thinking, under what circumstance did Christian move out? Was there a love triangle? Was this going back to the jealousy thing? What's going on? Because two's company and three is a crowd. So was Christian the crowd? Before contacting the couple, Mark Russo actually showed up on his own to the station. A little weird. Are you there because you're concerned or are you there because you want to clear your name before they look at you? Suspicious. He says they met the same way they met in Costa Rica and he helped Christian find work. He lived with him and his wife before they were married. Christian had moved out when they were married for privacy and they stayed friends after. This actually checks out to me. 
They asked Mark, did he like your wife? And he said, no, it was never a concern. Mark, two officers, seemed sincerely upset and blown away that this could happen to his friend. So, because of this, they mark Russo. Mark Russo. They mark Russo. <laughs> Sorry. They label Mark Russo out as a suspect. But they keep talking to him. They ask him, did he have any roommates? Like, does he have roommates now? Does he have a girlfriend? What does he do for work? And Mark tells them, there is an ex and her name is Heather. They were over about a week ago. Mark and his wife were over at uh, Christian's house and Heather had reached out to him while they were there. She was looking for a place to stay and Christian was a very caring guy and he wouldn't let her suffer without a roof. I put in um, italicized letters. I already don't like her. I don't know. I just had a bad feeling about her or I have a bad feeling about her. Every time I hear the word X, I get like a bad taste in my mouth. So maybe that's why. Doesn't mean she's a killer, but I hear that word and I'm like, mm -mm, they're an X for a reason. So now you think it's easy, right? Oh, Heather, let's go find her. They can't find her because they don't have a last name and they need a last name to find out the last time he saw her. Mark asks about Christian's car. He's like, what happened to Christian's car, by the way? And they're like, his car? Mark's like, yeah, I gave him a car a little while back. They didn't find a car at Christian's residence. So they find the car, they find the killer or killers. They put out a description to other officers. And in the meantime, while they're waiting on a response, they go and look for links. They check out the autopsy and they find out that Christian was dead for two days at least. He had lacerations and head wounds, bruising to the sternum, and there were other injuries, other methods of torture. Blunt force trauma and asphyxiation was his official cause of death. There, there was even like a cut on his lip because he bit through it just to get air. There were no defense wounds, so the attacker was somebody bigger than him and easily overpowered him. Like, what? What did, what did he do to deserve this? And I'm sure he didn't. I'm positive he didn't, but like... Some of this stuff, you guys, is so brutal. And for what reason? Like, we're going to get to the end and it's going to be like, seriously? The community was scared. They were calling the station absolutely worried. We don't know who killed and are they going to do it again? They said that six homicides a year is a lot for them. See, it's crazy because I live in a town where I didn't even know there were homicides until I became friends with a mortician. And he would say things like, oh yeah, I had a, huh, what is it called? A homicide suicide? Murder suicide. Just last night. Like it was just some another day in the town I'm from. I guess it's just not on the news as much. It's crazy that this stuff actually happens. Like it's really sad. Officers are getting numerous tips and most of them are meaningless from people that are just panicked. One, however, does have value. A journalist received an email from a friend of Christian. Christian was offered a dream job in Costa Rica for a U.S. company who had relocated there. His employer was stressed out about him leaving, and Christian said that he was afraid of his employer because they could do bad things to him. Christian worked in a cash advance company, and after research, they found out that one of the owners had mafia ties. Something definitely could have escalated. There was organized crime in the city's history, theft, racketeering, and it wasn't as bad as it was in 2005, or it wasn't as bad in 2005 as it used to be, but there are people that were still capable, like, over somebody leaving a company? 
I don't think so. I really don't think that this is, or I'm reading my notes about what I was thinking in that moment. Uh, let me go put him back to sleep. He's definitely not fully asleep, but he's almost there, so he should be fine. I'm supposed to be sleep training him by like letting him cry himself to sleep, but I refuse to do that. I don't know. As a mother, I just like I get anxiety when he cries. So where was I? Um, officers arranged to meet with his employer and they say that they were very fond of him. He was an incredibly competent programmer and their go-to guy. They weren't happy about him leaving, but they also wouldn't stand in his way. They did want him to succeed. Okay, that's fair. Officers believe that they're being sincere and their alibis are even verified for the night that they think that everything happened. Despite connections, officers don't think they're involved. His employer asked about the safe. And they're like, what safe? Christian kept cash and would convert to money orders to send money to Costa Rica with his family. Which is funny because there was no safe in the house, which means somebody did take it. The safe was stolen, the car was missing. This was a robbery and a homicide. Unfortunately, there are no leads and the only wild card is Heather, but they don't have a last name so they could not find her. They check out the answering machine at Christian's house. This, if you guys haven't agreed with me yet on Heather, you will now. <laughs> she is on the phone, or it's a woman stress, but it's Heather, and she says, I need your help, and she's crying. And she calls back and another message, and she's pissed off now, and she says, call me the F back now. Okay, so you're angry with the victim before he turned up dead. In my notes, I put, okay, I don't like her, but there's no way she's that stupid. Like, she would not call somebody, leave evidence of her being angry at them, and then kill them. Or, like, right? Mark called officers and said, okay, I got a full name. Her name is Heather Lavelle. They pulled up a photo of her, and she is 36 years old, tall, natural blonde, one of the guys in the documentary says she was attractive. Like, okay, we're, can we find out if she's involved in this before we go complimenting her and gassing her up? Can we, can we do that? She was educated. She had a good paying job in insurance and made over $140,000 a year. So why would she steal? What would be her reasoning? Well, the reason is because she had a recent arrest for drugs and she had lost her job and her house. There was also a domestic disturbance on her record. Not her doing it, but her boyfriend, James Savage. This fool's last name is really Savage. I'm going to call him James. She has a boyfriend. Why is she calling Christian? She did not pursue charges when police showed up to that domestic disturbance, despite obvious signs that there was violence. Now we're getting a background on James, the boyfriend. He had a violent criminal history and he was a widower. I put in all caps, a widower. Did he kill her? Can we talk about that? It, guess what? The documentary doesn't talk about it. They just say, oh yeah, he was a widower and like, like breezes by that. Like, why was he a widower? How did she die? Um, so report from the wife. I believe this is the wife that died. She had threatened him with a rifle and got a protective order. So this dude was a big guy, six foot four, over 250 pounds. So he would match the description of the alleged attacker. Before we continue, let me give a quick shout out to our sponsor today's sponsor audible audible is a website that gives you access to various audiobooks it's awesome i use it myself right now i'm listening to an audiobook that just helps with happiness helps with being stress-free helps handle things and having kind of duck feathers letting things roll off your shoulder um you know we all go through personal times we all go through tough times 
it's nature, it's life. So I think the best thing to do is to listen to some books that are going to help you deal with everyday things. And the best way, the most convenient way to do that is through an audiobook. Go ahead and give it a shot. You don't have to commit. You can cancel the trial once the trial is over, but I do recommend trying it. You can get two free credits on the podcast by going to audibletrial.com slash consumingcrime. Seriously, check it out. I mean, Audible is a company created by Amazon, and I trust Amazon with my packages, so I'm going to trust them with my mental. All right, so like I said, he matched the description of the alleged attacker. And Heather seeked asylum with Christian? Honey. When you are in danger, you move away from people that you care about, not towards people that you care about. Like, if you're getting chased, don't go to your family's house. Because I know it's, like, instinctual to go to your mom, but, like, don't. Anyway, I don't like her. And we're gonna, we're actually gonna talk about Heather later. Wait for that. Stay tuned for that. But, anyway, there is a long history of being violent and drug use for both of them. And they really want to hone in on this James guy. They go to his residence and his mother, Jackie, answers. She says that her son wasn't home and he was having a relationship with Heather. As a matter of fact, they went to the shore for the weekend, but they didn't specify which shore. The last she saw, they were loading stuff from Jackie's car into another car. Officers are like, what did the car look like? I don't know why I didn't write down the description of the car, but the description that they said did match the car that was missing, Christian's car. The mother calls her son. Will officers say, like, can you call your son? So she's like, sure. She lets officers in and she calls her son. She asks if he's okay and he starts freaking out. He starts saying, are the police looking for me? Can you wire me money? Um, Can Heather, can Heather call? And she asks, can Heather call the police? And he's like, we're not talking to the cops. We can't talk to the cops. Can you wire me the money or not? And he just says bye because she's not answering him. They seem to be on the run and desperate for money. Now, now it's like, all right, they did it. There's no way they didn't. This is way too much of a coincidence. Officers wonder, is Heather being forced? Like, yeah, I put in italics. I said, nah, homegirl knows what the hell she's doing. (laughs) They pinged their phones and they found them on the Delaware coast. They checked the hotels and they found one that they checked out of that day. Workers there say, yes, James was here and there was a blonde, but she said nothing. In the surveillance footage, they see them going in a room and into the car. The room, luckily, by the time officers showed up, had not been cleaned yet. There they found stained towels, red and black. So somebody dyed their hair in a hurry. So stupid. Oh, they're so dumb. These people are so dumb. Oh my god, it blows my mind. I mean, they're also they also I don't remember what kind of drug, but they're desperate for money, they're desperate for drugs. So obviously this isn't going to be like a clean kill. It just it blows my mind that it wasn't quick. Like this guy felt the need to torture Christian for what? I'm like jumping to conclusions. You guys might not even think that they did it yet. (laughs) Police release photos to the media and the next day, police in another county found the car. They make a traffic stop and as the officer steps out, they take off and get into a high speed pursuit. They're going close to 100 miles an hour and the only way the officers decide to stop them is by using stop sticks. That's like the stuff they roll out and it's like backward spikes so it 
slashes their tires. So that's what they do. Car stops, goes into a ditch, and they both get out and run in different directions. Like, they're just, stop. Like, stop. You're caught. They both eventually get caught and arrested. Officers get a warrant for the car and the clothing for Christian with blood on it. Officers get a warrant for the car and they find in the car clothing for Christian or Christian's clothes with blood on it. They also find brass knuckles with blood on it. This was all in the trunk, which is another nail in these two morons' coffins. They talk to James. This James guy was, they describe him as big and scary. Let's not give him credit. See, this is why I said, don't go saying she's attractive before we find out what she did. I think that whatever you are on the inside is going to reflect who you're on the outside. So, here's James's story. Me and Heather were at Christian's house, and three other people came in, invaded Christian's house, took the safe, made a mess, and me and Heather barely made it out with our lives. Okay, whatever happened to Christian took time. It took whoever did this time to do this to Christian. And you guys were untouched? Okay. What about Heather and Christian? What's with the jealousy? What What's the connection there? James says the reason they were over there is because Heather did have a relationship with Christian and James was jealous. I guess they had slept together recently, maybe when she was taking asylum or something. Things were said, a fight broke out. Christian got brass knuckles, James got mad and disarmed him. Really? Christian doesn't seem like the type- like, I know him, I don't know him, but still, even if this was true, that's not- that doesn't justify all the things that were done to him. He renders Christian unconscious, leaves, and when he came back, he was dead. This is such- they are lying out of their and it's, like, insane to me. You're already going to prison. Stop. They made it look like a robbery, so after he was dead, that's when they tied him up and made it look like the way that it looked. Now they're talking to Heather. They ask her, is he forcing you to be here? Is he forcing you to be his accomplice? And she says, nope, I'm not under any duress. I knew it. I knew it. She was with Christian for about a month, and they were happy until he let her go because of the drug issues. After smoking crack cocaine, that's the drug. I don't know why I didn't put that up more. After she started smoking crack cocaine, it was over. She would beg, borrow, and steal everybody she knew, including Christian. And then, after that, is when she met James, who was another drug user. After the domestic dispute, she went to consult a Christian, and he let her in. This is when I'm guessing they slept together. Even if they didn't, though, obviously James made that assumption. Um, she went back to James. Um, she eventually ended up going back to James because obviously he would sustain her drug problem. She told James where she went. Why would she? Also, she told James about the safe that he had. So she's got to be the mastermind because unless you want to do something about it, why would you tell your druggy boyfriend, your druggy violent widower boyfriend about a safe? They went when he wasn't home. I don't know if this was Heather's account or what officers believe happened, but they go when he wasn't home, and they check the safe, and there was only $40 in there. So they waited, and he got home, and they confronted him. Where's the money? We need more money. He says, I just sent money home in Costa Rica, but I can probably get more. Something switches, like the topic changes, and James gets into a jealous, violent rage. Heather, paranoid somebody hearing, puts a sock into Christian's mouth. His last moments were terrifying. 
after they did everything that they did to him, James threw the condoms in the bathtub. He was jealous of them sleeping together, and at this point is when they staged it as a robbery. Heather enabled everything. They both get charged with homicide, facing the death penalty, took a guilty plea, and sentenced to life in prison where they are now. Christian's family was there at the conviction, and they were very vocal about the conviction not bringing Christian back. Like, this doesn't fix anything. This doesn't bring him back. He was loved, and he trusted a little too much and opened his door to some evil people. When I was... That's the case, but I do... I encourage you guys to keep listening. When I was looking into these people you know i i kind of do my own little research outside of documentary just to see if there's anything worth noting and i want to i looked up this heather person and i found a website right to redemption.com and there's a video of her telling her story and i encourage you guys to look at it not because i think that she deserves a second chance because i'm very one-track minded and I'm, I don't want to like piss anybody off for this, but I think that once you pass that line and you, I mean, I've never been addicted to drugs, so I don't know how far this pushes people, but if you can put a sock into the mouth of somebody that you love, I don't know if there's redemption from that. I'll watch a little bit of this. I've already seen this, but let's watch a little bit of it together right now. I'll scoot over and put it here and uh, let me know how you guys feel. This is Heather and this is from 2019. Nine years ago, as a result of depression, alcoholism, and drug addiction, I killed a good friend of mine. This isn't somebody whose name I didn't know before that night. This was somebody I knew well who I loved. I knew his hopes and his dreams for the future. I knew he loved me. That's why this is so difficult. How do you come back from this after committing such a horrible crime? This is a story about the serendipity of events that led me on a journey of self-discovery and ultimately self-forgiveness. At one point in my life, I was successful in business. I had graduated from college. I can't listen to this whole me, 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 I, 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 I. Like the fact that it's already two minutes in, one minute in, into her speech, and she has not said his name really grinds my gears. Like, I will not encourage bullying. I will not encourage finding her, harassing her. I will not encourage it. That is not what we are on earth to do. I don't think we're here to bring each other down. I'm only showing you guys because I'm curious to see if there's anybody out there that would forgive her. Not that it's even our place to forgive her because it's not. But is there anyone out there that thinks that people that do things like this deserve redemption? You know, should she... If you were a judge and you could release her from prison where she is right now, would you? You know, this was in 2005. This was 15 years ago, over 15 years ago, and you're listening to this. I wouldn't. I think that a killer is a killer, you know, and just like a cheater is a cheater. I mean, obviously, there's one extreme to another, but I want to know what you guys think about this. You know, we can disagree. 
I it's better if we do because then we learn something from each other but yeah I I don't know how to feel about this chick again I don't encourage harassment if you don't like it don't watch it simple as that but if you're open to having a debate with me um go ahead and make a comment go on the website make an account and we'll talk about it yeah that is pretty much it Jax is awake again I was gonna record another episode tonight but I'm just gonna wait till tomorrow because he's awake he knows that I'm not going to bed right now so he's a violin anyway thank you for consuming crime with me today and you will hear me next week